The Other Side of Midnight. 77 Local Spotlight. Good morrow, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight on 77 WABC. Very exciting to be joined by Dr. Sky, Steve Cates, in mere moments. If you have a question for Dr. Sky about anything regarding space, you can start queuing up because the lines do fill up quickly. 800-848-WABC. I have talked about the COVID vaccines before, and I'm vaccinated and boosted, and I actually think the development of the COVID vaccine is one of President Trump's greatest accomplishments. That being said, the more we learn about some of these COVID vaccines and the side effects, the more that we're seeing that a lot of the concerns that people had about getting them, they might not be the crazy conspiracy theories that some people thought initially. It might be something to them. And I was reminded of this because a week or two ago, my wife and I were having dinner with another couple that we know, and uh, the woman in this couple, the wife, happened to be a teacher and a new mom. She's got a one-year-old. And she was a teacher who didn't want to get vaccinated because she was in the early stages of her pregnancy. And she wasn't crazy about some of the things that she was hearing about the vaccine. And she felt that the better precaution for her would be to just wait on the vaccine until after the baby was born. And they didn't give her the option of doing that. And she ultimately lost her job. Well, now she can reapply to come back. And now they have done away with the vaccine mandate for teachers and other city workers. But New York's teachers are not getting back pay for the time that they missed. If you lost your job due to COVID as a teacher in New York, you're not getting back pay. In Rhode Island, you're getting back pay. In Newark, New Jersey, you're getting back pay for the time that you missed. And I wonder where the teachers union is on this. I would have expected that the New York teachers union would have been fighting for this just as hard as the teachers union in Newark, Rhode Island, and in other places. Because you would think that if you're losing your job because of something that's no longer even a requirement, you should at least be entitled to get the money back that you lost. This poor couple is having a tough time making ends meet. You could say what you want about her decision, but ultimately it's her decision. Beam me up. To be continued. The Other Side of Midnight. Local Spotlight. Good morrow, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight on 77 WABC. I'm Frank Morano. Well, pretty soon summer will officially be here. Pretty soon school will be out. And pretty soon people will be going to the beach all over the country, but especially all over the New York area. And New York City, now that it's entering the summer swimming season, is confronting the worst lifeguard shortage on record. Something officials say is partly the result of a bitter fight between the city and the little known but extraordinarily powerful unions that represent lifeguards. The city's 14 miles of public beaches opened over the weekend, but millions of New Yorkers are facing the prospect of partial beach closures and limited access to pools when they open next month. The Parks Department is saying they currently have fewer than 500 lifeguards ready to work, roughly a third of the number they say is needed to fully staff beaches and pools. The lifeguard shortage, which also stems from all sorts of other issues like low salaries, a difficult qualifying test, and a pandemic-induced slowdown of the lifeguard pipeline, follows months of off-season maneuvering between city officials and the lifeguard unions. 
evidently it's an intractable and bizarre union beef that stands out even in a city that's just filled with union beefs and one that's left the city locked in collective bargaining negotiations with union officials to reach a new contract. The city is blaming the unions for leaving key swimming spots understaffed. The unions have a pretty checkered past marked by sordid headlines, all sorts of investigations, damning governmental reports, but they effectively control all lifeguard operations down to determining who qualifies to work each summer. Last summer, there was a nationwide lifeguard shortage and the city had 529 lifeguards by the time the pools opened in June, but it continued to certify lifeguards through early July. As of Friday, there were only 480 lifeguards on hand, including 280 returning lifeguards. I don't believe this is the case nationally. So I think New York is facing the kind of a lifeguard shortage that the rest of the country is not. And you have to ask yourself the question, how do we end up in this situation? This sounds like something that should easily be remedied. Hopefully they can and can soon. Beam me up. To be continued. The Other Side of Midnight. Local Spotlight. As many of you probably know, I am a long-time, long-suffering fan of the New York Metropolitans. Although this season, the suffering has not been that painful. It was great to see them beat the Phillies 2 to nothing last night. Uh, I didn't get to see much of the game. That's what happens with these games that are so quick now, with the uh, pitch count and this and that. In any event... I am very excited because on Saturday, the Mets will welcome four new members to the Mets Hall of Fame. Two of them are announcers, Gary Cohen and Howie Rose. And then they're also going to be welcoming former players Al Leiter and Howard Johnson. I must say, these are great selections. The selection of Howard Johnson, who I think was so terrific, there should be strong consideration for retiring his number as number 20 with the New York Metropolitans, is wonderful. Howard Johnson was a 30-30 player, which if you don't follow baseball, means he hit 30 home runs and stole 30 bases in the same season. But even more than that, at a time when things were tough for the Mets in the early 90s, he still managed to lift the spirits of both his teammates and the fans. And I'll never forget, I attended a Met game, I think in 94 or 95, the year, the first year, maybe the second year after Howard Johnson had left the Mets to go to the Rockies. And you would expect a New York crowd of baseball fans when a guy that left your team comes to the plate to boo him. Howard Johnson, ever the class act and always respected by the fans, every time he came up to bat for the opposing team, the Colorado Rockies, the fans gave him a thunderous cheer. I got to know Howard Johnson a little bit personally when I was working for the Brooklyn Cyclones at the time that he was first the batting coach and then the manager. And I have to tell you, on a personal level, he's absolutely delightful. To me, he embodies class, athleticism, and everything that it means to be a Hall of Famer. Great selections all around, but especially in the case of Howard Johnson. Beam me up! To be continued. The Other Side of Midnight. Local Spotlight. 
Well, there was a fascinating report put out yesterday by Bill Hammond and the Empire Center, and you can read it for yourself at empirecenter.org. I'm also going to link to it on my Facebook page, facebook.com slash moranofan. And it's important to keep this in mind because it's clear that uh, former New York State Governor Andrew Cuomo is embarking on some sort of a rehabilitation tour. He's trying for some sort of a comeback. I don't know if that means running for U.S. Senate next year or trying to do something in the media or something else entirely. But here's what the report from the Empire Center shows. And this is all based on publicly available data that was available to anyone. A pair of state-employed writers began researching, outlining, and drafting a book about Governor Andrew Cuomo's pandemic response in late March of 2020, weeks before New York's harrowing first wave had passed. This is according to newly disclosed email records. The two speechwriters, Jamie Malinowski and Tom Tapusis, traded drafts of a preface on March 30th. They brainstormed about chapter headings on March 31st. They requested updated research from the governor's office in April and interviewed the health commissioner in early May, all spelled out in black and white in these emails. They describe themselves as working under the direction of the secretary to the governor, Melissa DeRosa, who was Andrew Cuomo's top aide. She met with the writers and sent them notes and ideas. So what you have here is a clear-cut case that in March of 2020, at the height of the pandemic, these staffers to the governor, who were being paid by you, the taxpayer. Their focus was not at all on dealing with the once-in-a-generation, maybe once-in-a-lifetime pandemic that was ravaging New York. Their focus was on writing Andrew Cuomo's book. This is absolutely disgraceful, and I think this is something that should give all New Yorkers pause if Andrew Cuomo chooses to run for office again in the future. Beam me up! To be continued.